Well, today is a special day in the life of our church, one we've been working towards for over two years now. Today is the official opening of our new building and facility upgrades, work on which began almost the same day that COVID struck in March last year. Well, we've made it. The building is finally finished, the ramps are in, the the wall over to my right here has been replaced with a wonderful new entryway, the hall has been soundproofed and best of all, and to our great relief, the toilets are working. Thank you to the many people who've made it a reality. That's that's a great long list. It includes our state member, Analak Chantafong, who championed us in getting the grant in the first place. Uh, many of the contractors who contributed their skill to the project, many of whom went far beyond what we paid them for, some even donating all their time and services, Uh, and also to the many members of our church who put in countless hours and weekends to make this happen, whose dedication and skill has been absolutely incredible. Now, the question I've been asking myself all week has been, what on earth do you preach on for the grand opening of a toilet block? What, what part of the Bible would be the most appropriate to look at? At Judges 4, where fat King Oglon is stabbed to death on the dunny by Ehud, the left-handed judge, who then escapes out the window. Uh, we read in Judges 4 that the king's attendants waited to the point of embarrassment before they entered the toilet to see if he was okay. Now, how, how long's that? What's the point of embarrassment in, in our house? That, that's quite a long time sometimes. There's just too many good books to read there. <laughs> or, or 1 Samuel chapter 24, where King Saul's hunting for David to kill him. He stops to relieve himself in the very cave that David is hiding in, though he doesn't know it. And David sneaks up midstream and snips the corner off his robe as a warning to him. It's a dirty trick when someone's indisposed like that. Do you preach on that? Uh, Or 1 Kings 18, where Elijah mocks the false prophets who've been going for hours and hours trying to get the false god Baal to send fire from the sky to light a bonfire. They've been dancing around, cutting themselves with knives to get his attention. They've been shouting and carrying on. And Elijah starts yelling at them after several hours, shout louder. Maybe Baal's on the loo taking a dump. Maybe that's why he's not coming. So it turns out the Bible's got some pretty good stuff, pretty good material when it comes to toilets, which I think goes to show how down to earth God is when he talks about real life in his word to us, the Bible. But in the end, I thought with Christmas coming up, it might be safer to see what Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has to say about life and about God and how it is that a person can be on right terms with their maker. And as it turns out, he even used toilets to talk about that. It was there in our reading in Mark chapter 7. Towards the end of it, the little number 18 there, verse 18, Jesus asked his disciples, are you also lacking in understanding? That's a polite translation. Uh, Really, he asked, are you that dumb? Are you so stupid? Don't you realise that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Food goes in one end and it comes out the other. 
Now, why would Jesus be talking about that? And, and why does he think they're so stupid for not understanding the digestive processes? Well, why is it that they're so dull? Well, it's because at that very moment, the whole basis of being right with God has just been stripped away in their hearing by the opposition and then clearly corrected by Jesus and they haven't understood the difference. That's why they're dumb. You see, there's just been a massive public argument between Jesus and a combined group of uh, religious writers, scribes from the temple, and, and also Pharisees who, if you're not familiar, were the religious do-gooders, the right-wing religious people of Israel. And much like religious people around the world today, and in every age for that matter, they followed a very strict code of conduct of rituals and customs in order to be right with God. In fact, in just about every religious system, there are things that you must do and must not do, not just morally, but in the religious sphere, in order not to be polluted in God's sight. Acts of purification and devotion to either shield you from the spiritual muck so it doesn't stick and doesn't hit you, or or to deal with it if it's there. And, And at one level, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Wouldn't God expect us to do acts that show us just how devoted to him we are, uh, that that prove our love for him, that that show that we're really serious about him and and not just one of the crowd? I mean, isn't that what religion's all about? Proving yourself to God somehow? Uh, For Muslims, it involves praying five times a day, facing towards Mecca, bowing down, uh, fasting during the month of Ramadan, It involves going on pilgrimage once in your life to the city of Mecca. It involves ritual washings multiple times every day. And it involves staying ritually clean by not eating pork or shellfish or anything else prescribed by the Quran or the Hadiths and also giving away 2.5% of your money to charity. Devote Hindus, they they do daily chores such as worshipping at dawn after bathing, usually at a family shrine, typically includes lighting a lamp, offering food before images of the deities, uh, reciting religious scripts, uh, meditation, chanting, mantras. Uh, In in terms of food, there are food laws within Hinduism. Cows are strictly off limits, and so is Coke for that matter, but I don't know why. And even in Christian circles, there are those who would say that there are religious rituals and duties that you must perform to be right before God, to prove yourself to him right before him, crossing yourself, being baptised, genuflecting, going to confession, taking communion, doing penance, giving alms. Uh, In some branches of Christianity, they even teach food laws, fasting at certain times of the year, rules about not eating meat on Fridays and so on and so on. But that's exactly the kind of thinking that Jesus has in his sights, which he wanted to blow out of the water and which at that very moment had been what had landed him in such big trouble. In the midst of a large crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus teach, the Pharisees had pushed their way to the front. They'd done it to discredit him and make him look bad with a simple question. 
Why don't your disciples, your followers, these guys who are with you, why don't they live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with unclean hands? And Mark's already explained for us what was expected for every devout Jew. Uh, Ceremonial washing, not only of hands, but but also the pots and the pans used before the meal, the, the plates, everything had to be ceremonially cleansed lest you be corrupted in your spirit by eating something that was classed as defiled or unclean. Now, it wasn't anything to do with germs or any reason your mum might have made you wash your hands before dinner. It was nothing to do with going to the toilet. It was religious. It was part of the code. What's Jesus going to do about that question? Maybe they thought that he'd take the disciples away and give them a firm lecture on proper religious practice, sort them out, make them start doing the ritual washings. Maybe they hoped they'd just pull in his head and go away. They, they certainly wanted the crowd to stop listening to him. He's trying to, they're trying to embarrass Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Well, he turns on them and he issues a stinging rebuke. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it's written, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. And he gives a bunch of examples of how they do it. It's it's a full-on assault. It's not something that most people realise about Jesus. Uh, the common perception of Jesus with someone soft, the, the paintings with the flowing hair and the pale skin that, that make him look like he wouldn't hurt a fly. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And, and certainly there were occasions when he was gentle, but most of the time he spoke with power and authority. And here he is doing it now, denouncing the religious right in Israel as hypocrites, as deniers of God. And the crowd were there watching the whole thing go down. So having taken on the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus wants to wave the whole crowd in a little bit closer because he's going to give them a principle that they've all got to learn. He says, listen to me. Understand this. Fix it in your minds. Got to get this straight. And what he's about to say is, an absolutely monumental new thought for them. It's, it's, a, it's something that will strike a devastating blow at all of the religion that they've grown up with and that they're used to. And it may be something that strikes a devastating blow to what you thought you knew about relating rightly with God. Something that might even go against everything you've ever heard. It certainly was the opposite of everything they'd ever heard, and so he knew it was going to be hard for them to accept. Look at the little number 15, verse 15. See it? Read it there. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. It's a very simple statement, isn't it? It's not what goes into you that pollutes you spiritually. It's what comes out that does it. And he's saying that defilement is an inside matter. It's not an outside matter. 
the Pharisees and the scribes, they come to him and said, how dare, how dare you eat without going through proper ceremonial washings? You eat with defiled hands, you defile the food, and then you eat it and you defile yourself. You fail the ritual, you fail God. Jesus says, you cannot, you cannot be unclean in God's sight by things from the outside. The pollution that God cares about, defilement, is not a physical issue, it's a spiritual one. It's not a ritual matter, it's a moral one. And in that one statement, Jesus sets himself in absolute diametric opposition to the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes and the entire religious system of the Jews. And he sets himself in absolute diametric opposition to every other religious system before, during or since, which says that ritual, ceremony and performance are necessary to make you right before God, to make you pure, undefiled, clean. And for the people there in that crowd, that was just unbelievable. Even the disciples, his own followers, they don't get it. So locked into that way of thinking of their family and their friends, so locked into the idea of performance-based religion, that they think they can't have heard Jesus right. And let me say, I acknowledge it's very, very difficult for us to break free from thinking in those terms. Even today, no matter who you talk to, people think it's all got to do with achievement, that it's got to do with performance, that being part of God's family, going to heaven, however you want to describe it, is, is got to do with earning God's favour somehow. Just test yourself. Huh? Ask yourself, God forbid that this should happen. But, but if you were to die tonight, hopefully not from the tasty lunch that's being served for us at church, <laughs> and you died and you were front up to the gates of heaven and, and God looks at you and says, just hang on a tick. Why, why should I let you in here? What, what are you going to say to him? How would you answer? I'm a good bloke. At least I haven't murdered anyone. Well, I, I, I went to church sometimes. <laughs> I, I took communion. I, I was baptised. I, I fasted during Lent. I didn't eat meat when I wasn't supposed to. I did nice things for community. I was at St Barnabas the day they opened up their toilets. What what would you say to God to convince him to let you in? It's just normal to think in terms of what I did and and why it is that God should be pleased with me. Why it is I don't deserve to be shut out. And so ingrained in that way of thinking, the disciples, they can't handle it. They take Jesus aside. They, they don't think they could have heard him right. When he went into the house, away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. What are you talking about, Jesus, they said. And, and that's when Jesus let them have it. Are you that thick? Are you so stupid? Or the polite way this version puts it, are you also lacking in understanding? Why 
does Jesus think they're thick? Well, one, because they've been with him long enough to realise that what he's been doing and teaching is completely incompatible with ritual-based religion. Two, because even the Old Testament, which the Jewish big guns stood by, actually says over and over again that being right with God is a matter of the heart. But three, and most important, because the principle is just so obviously true, both in terms of outside things not affecting the inner reality, but also in terms of what gives us our great problem before God in the first place. Have a look how he says it. He said to them, are you so dull? Don't you realise that nothing going into a person from outside can defile him, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And so he declared, all food's clean. Friends, it's just so obviously true, isn't it? You cannot be defiled before God by what you eat or not, by ritual washing or not, or anything else like that. If you grew up with that kind of thinking, if you still have that kind of thinking, give it up. It's hopeless. You cannot be defiled by what you put in your mouth. You know, because you put it in your mouth, it goes down your esophagus, into your stomach, it goes through the small and large intestines, and it comes out the other end. That's why we built this building. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's the finest caviar or the simplest sausage. Food, what is it when it comes down to it? Food is just pre-digested sewage. That's all it is. It's pre-digested sewage. It's got some nutrients your body needs, but most of it is going straight out. And so if your religion is based on what you eat or don't eat, you can imagine what Jesus thinks of it. Now, on the one hand, that's very good news, isn't it? No amount of ritual observation, making sure the ingredients on the packet don't contain the wrong thing, no amount of bowing and scraping is going to impress God. You can just chuck them. Fantastic. But on the other hand, and that's where Jesus leads us, there's a whopping great realisation we have to come to terms with that what's inside already is a serious problem. He goes on and he said, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evils come from within and they defile a person. The cesspool, friends, is it's in here, it's in your heart. You're not polluted by what you pump in. You're polluted because of what you're already pumping out. And, and it's not a minor issue. It's not something that only a few people have inside them. He's saying this is everyone. You look at that list and you tell me you've never had an evil thought. I certainly have even just setting up for today's celebrations, I've had several. <laughs> and which of us hasn't had greed or malice or envy, which hasn't 
which of us hasn't indulged in some slander? Pride. We, we often take pride in ourselves, don't we? Foolishness. Some of us just go out and do dumb things all the time. That's me. That's you. That, that, that's Reddit. That's Facebook. That's the daily news. And what it proves is that there's just this awful reality about my heart, that it's dark, it's spiritually polluted, and it puts me on the outer when it comes to God. It rips us apart from him because God made us to love him and to love the people around us, not treat them like this. He made us to put him first, to be thankful to him, to be content with what he gives us and to be content with him. He made us to glorify him. But instead, our hearts are filled with what? Jesus puts his fingers on the spiritual pulse of each and every one of us and he's saying, you're not going to be able to fix this one yourself. What you need is to be cleaned out from inside and no amount of ritual, of religion is going to do it as if it was some sort of spiritual enema. It's never going to work. No, what we need is a heart transplant and you can't give yourself a heart transplant. We simply cannot change our hearts. Oh, sure, we could have surgery and rip the old thing out which pumps blood around our body and gets someone else's, although you notice that that always costs them their life. But it's not the heart that Jesus means that he refers to. The heart is the inner self, the mind, the, the attitude, the motive, the desire. That's the heart that needs transplanting and, and we need someone else to do it for us. Who? Well, let's turn to the other passage that we read, Philippians 3. You see, that was written by a man who'd had one of these heart transplants himself. Someone who may very well have been there that day when Jesus let loose. It was written by a Pharisee. Pharisee who once was named Saul, though when he got his new life, he changed it to Paul. Here's what he says about performance-based religion and those who preach it. He says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he's talking about those who treat the body harshly by ritual ceremonies and things. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Jesus Christ and do not put confidence in the flesh. Don't, we don't put our confidence in the stuff that we do. Although he says, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If you want to boast about stuff and performance, well, here's my list. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that's in the law, that's the Old Testament law. You know, I was blameless. I kept every single one. I, when it said, tithe your herbs, I picked off every tenth leaf of dill and cumin and right, bizarre sort of level of detail and righteousness. Here's a man who could point to every single possible way of being blameless and pure before God based on connections, based on customs, based on rule-keeping, based on ritual purity. You name it, he did it. But what does he say? The little seven there. 
but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as, get this, as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, from doing stuff, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. All those ways of trying to relate to God, what are they? Dung. We're back at the toilets again. A pile of garbage. What did I need instead, he says? I needed Jesus. I needed to trust him. And he says, I gained a righteousness from him. That, that is, that I was spiritually cleansed by him. He's the one that gave me the heart transplant. And he did it through faith in Christ. The day I came to trust him was the day I came to the end of my own efforts to impress God and I was cleansed by him. I received grace. I didn't have to earn it. He gave it to me. How does that even work? All of us have hearts that Jesus has already identified that that if anyone else could see inside them, they would cringe in disgust at what was in there, let alone God if he could see it. Well, he does. How could Jesus change that? Well, that's the great news of Christianity. It's the great news of Christmas. He, He did it by coming here to die for our sins. That's what he was here to do, die on the cross to pay for our evil because there was no other way that we could pay ourselves or wipe them out, so he did it for us. Paul, Paul, this guy, says elsewhere, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, the perfectly righteous son of God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's saying a straight swap's happened. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. Purified not because we're pure, but because he is and because he's kindly paid for us. You might remember, do you remember what was happening just before COVID struck last year? Before we commenced all this great building project, which has taken so much time and energy, it's gone far longer than any of us hoped for and planned. Do you remember what was happening before the lockdowns? Remembering what was happening before all the toilet paper ran out in the shops? We'd just been through one of the most devastating bushfire seasons we've ever had and relief efforts were underway. You remember? That was the start of last year. The fires were huge, hundreds of kilometres across hundreds of metres high. At times they raced along at over 100 kilometres an hour. If you're caught in the path of one of those bushfires, you can't run, you can't hide, it just burns down everything in its path. How could you possibly escape? Well, the answer sounds crazy. What you do if if you want to survive is you've got to light the biggest fire you can on the other side of you. And then when the bushfire comes, you stand right in the middle of where you just burned. The bushfire then consumes everything else around, 
but it can't burn where you are because there is nothing left to feed it. The only place to be safe in a bushfire is where the fire has already been. And God's wrath is coming like a raging fire and all the unrighteousness that comes from within. You can't run. You can't hide. It will engulf you. How can you escape? The only safe place to be when God's wrath comes is to be where it's already been. Jesus on the cross. God has already poured out his anger on us in there. At that place, there's nothing for God to be angry with anymore. Sin has been dealt with. Jesus and he alone is the only designated safe stone, the only safe stone from the coming judgment. Next week, we're having carols on the lawn. It's always a great night, well worth coming again, coming next week. If you're watching online, make make the effort to come in person. It's going to be an awesome night. Uh, I hear that the comedy act is going to be sensational, but but think of the carols we sing, the real ones, not the, the Santa and Jingle Bells. Think, think, they're all about the great news of God's mercy and love in Jesus. Here's just one, angels from the realms of glory. Uh, maybe not the most familiar one, but how does it go in the end? Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains, justice now revokes the sentence, mercy calls you, Break your chains. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. Christ has come and he has broken the chains. He has paid so that we can be freed for a new life with God, That's a life that's full of joy and mercy and hope. But you do have to come to him. Will you trust him? Because if you won't, you're going to face that fire yourself. He has paid for us on the cross. He has risen from the grave. He's alive and well and he's here today and he is handing out love and grace and forgiveness. That's why he died for you. He loves you that much. Will you come to an end of all your own efforts to justify yourself before God? That'll never work. It'll never work. Will you give yourself to him? And... If you happen to visit church here in the future, maybe for the carols, maybe some other time, and you you happen to use the toilets, which are being officially dedicated today, let it remind you not to be as thick as the disciples were that day. Instead, come and find new life in him, paid for by him, a new life with him. There is nothing better. Father, we thank you for your mercy and love in the Lord Jesus, that you know we can't earn our way to heaven. So forgive us for ever thinking that that was possible. Father, get that garbage out of our heads. Father, help us to rely on your grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if this is a new thought that someone is hearing this, watching and They've never seen this truth. Open their eyes to see the evident truth of Jesus Christ that there's no way back other than him. Have mercy, Father. Please save lives today. In his name we pray. Amen.